2: You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too.
1: The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie. I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast,
0: Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you
1: want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History
2: Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. So today's subject, which is transgender activist Sylvia Rivera, is often compared to Rosa Parks. Like, I would say 70% of the articles that I read researching this episode compared her to Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, as you probably know, became famous in part for refusing to give up her bus seat on a segregated bus. And Sylvia Rivera became famous in part for uh, for purportedly throwing the first bottle at a police officer during the Stonewall riots. But really, Rosa Parks and Sylvia R- Rivera almost could not be more different from each other. Rosa Parks's case was chosen specifically to try to overturn uh, bus segregation in Montgomery, Alabama, precisely because she seemed really polite. She was married, she was soft-spoken, she went to church, and she had no criminal record. So basically, there was nothing in her background that might turn white people off to the idea that she deserved the same basic civil rights that they did. Sylvia Rivera, on the other hand, has a lot more in common with Claudette Colvin, who was also arrested for refusing to give up a seat on a segregated bus in Montgomery, But Claudette Colvin did not become the household name that uh, Rosa Parks did because she was an unmarried, pregnant teenager who had a reputation for being a troublemaker. Civil rights leaders deliberately didn't pursue her case because they knew it would be a hard one to win. They held out for a more so-called respectable plaintiff instead. And that brings us to Sylvia Rivera. In the years immediately after the Stonewall riots, she campaigned bravely and stridently and vocally for the rights of gay and transgender people. Although the term transgender, which is used to describe people whose gender identity doesn't match up with the sex that they were assigned when they were born, uh, that word had not been coined yet. But Sylvia was also loud and aggressive and angry and poor, sometimes even homeless. She had a history of sex work and drug addictions, Her mannerisms were really flamboyant and in your face. So when the gay rights movement started trending towards so-called respectability, Sylvia got really pushed to the sidelines, along with a lot of other transgender people. She refused to be put in a box. And so she wound up being excluded from the very movement that she was fighting for. And she was, for decades, pretty much forgotten about. So before we get started, there's a word of caution about this story. Because Sylvia ran away from home when she was only 11, Some of the events that happened to her, especially in her young life, are disturbing. So parents and teachers, before you share this with young people, I recommend listening to it yourself first. And as a second note, some of the language that was used at the time that Sylvia lived and that she used about herself isn't the preferred language that we use today. And we'll sort of point out those as they come up.
0: Uh, so, now that you've been warned, we will jump in, uh, as we usually do at the very beginning. Sylvia was actually born Ray Rivera on July 2nd of 1951. Her mother was Venezuelan, and her father was Puerto Rican.
2: Sylvia's mother committed suicide by eating rat poison when Sylvia was three. She also tried to kill Sylvia at that time, but Sylvia survived and went on to be raised by her grandmother, Viajita. Viajita raised both Sylvia and Sylvia's half-sister.
0: Viahita was essentially functioning as a single parent. Her husband had abandoned her, and Sylvia's father, who had also abandoned the family, was not uh, paying child support.
2: Sylvia's grandmother was also very strict. Although she taught Sylvia to cook and to sew and to knit, she really did not like it when Sylvia started wearing girls' clothes. Viajita would punish Sylvia, sometimes physically, for wearing makeup and for dressing in girls' clothing.
0: And as Sylvia described in the oral history, Making History the Struggle for Gay and Lesbian Equal Rights, 1945 to 1990, her grandmother would say, quote, we don't do this. You're one of the boys. I want you to be a mechanic. And Sylvia would answer, no, I want to be a hairdresser and I want to wear these clothes.
2: From Sylvia's point of view,
0: her grandmother also
2: didn't like her because her skin was too dark. She had heard her grandmother say that she wanted a white granddaughter
0: instead. And the struggle between the two of them went on until at the age of 10, Sylvia tried to commit suicide by taking her grandmother's pills. She wound up instead in the hospital for two months.
2: Sylvia also faced bullying and harassment at school and in the neighborhood as well. The other children and their neighbors didn't like her wearing girls' clothing, and they didn't like her effeminate mannerisms.
0: Feeling lonely, isolated, and desperately at odds with everyone around her, Sylvia left home at age 11. The straw that really broke the camel's back was seeing how others' treatment of her was affecting her grandmother. Even though their relationship was often contentious and strained and even violent, Sylvia did not like seeing her grandmother suffer over the way people talked about her.
2: After she ran away, Sylvia went to 42nd Street in New York City, which was a haven for cross-dressers and streetwalkers. She had no other means to support herself, and so she turned to sex work. And I want to make it clear that there are people who choose to go into sex work, but at this time, Sylvia was 11, and she had no other options. The area's drag queens pretty much adopted her, and they're the ones who gave her the name Sylvia. Sylvia was arrested frequently, and her grandmother would come and bail her out.
0: A few days shy of Sylvia's 18th birthday, she went to the Stonewall Inn for the first time. And this was June 28th of 1969. The
2: Stonewall Inn was like many of New York's bars that catered to the gay community at the time owned by the mafia. Homosexuality was a crime and so was cross-dressing. So pretty much the only people who were willing to operate businesses that catered to this demographic were also
0: themselves criminals. Uh, Gay bars were raided on a regular basis. Standard operating procedure was that the police would come in, they would make arrests and confiscations, they would then collect a payoff, and then they would leave and padlock the door behind them. Not long after the police had gone, members of the mafia would come by, cut the padlock off, they would then restock the alcohol supply, and business would start right back up. So for the people who didn't wind up getting arrested, it was more of a hassle and an interruption to their evening's revelry than anything else.
2: For people who did get arrested, it could be way, way harder, not not just for the fact that they were taken to jail, but often in jail, they were then taunted and sometimes beaten and sometimes assaulted by other uh, people who were in the jail. On June 28th, when the police came in, most of the patrons went to the park across the street to wait, and they were tired of being hassled. Uh, A lot of people say that this was because it was the same week that Judy Garland died, and... That doesn't seem through the oral histories to actually add up necessarily. But
0: yeah, it's more of a, a, some I point. Think a coincidence than a cause and effect situation.
2: Right. At some point, somebody started throwing coins at the police officers, yelling things like, here's your payoff. Come get some more.
0: And then uh, things started to escalate. Uh, people started throwing bottles and Molotov cocktails. Sylvia is widely cited as the first to do this, but near the end of her life, she really worked to try to dispel this idea, saying that she was in fact the second to throw a bottle.
2: Soon, the police were pinned down inside the bar with the protesters outside, and the riot went on until reinforcements arrived and dispersed the crowd.
0: The Stonewall riot wasn't remotely the first event in the modern gay rights movement. It wasn't even the first riot in an establishment that was frequented by LGBT people. An uh, early Earlier example was a riot at Cooper's Donuts in Los Angeles in 1965. And in that event, drag queens and gay men, many of them black or Latino, uh, fought back against police first by throwing donuts, which sounds sort of funny, and then with hand-to-hand fighting, much less funny. Uh, in San Francisco, a picket protest among LGBT protesters turned into a riot at Compton's Cafeteria in 1966. But Stonewall really did act as a sort of tipping point and a rallying cry
2: definitely the most famous today. For sure. So there are several things about the riots and Sylvia's presence there that are cause for debate today. One is just how much of the Stonewall Inn's clientele was made up of crossdressers and transgender people. Now, as we mentioned before, the term transgender had not really been coined at this point in history. But when it was coined about 10 years later, a lot of the people who had identified as crossdressers or as uh, transvestites at the time... Then went on to identify as transgender. So we're going to keep talking about both cross dressers and transgender people both for the rest of the episode because they are two different things. Cross dressing is about the clothes you have on and transgender is about your gender expression. So your expression of the, the gender that you, uh, that you are inwardly versus the clothes that you have on your body. In Sylvia's own words, crossdressers could only get in if they knew somebody, because crossdressers were really frequently targeted by the police. So a lot of businesses felt like it was too much of a hassle to deal with them. Other people have characterized the Stonewall Inn as a haven for crossdressers and for transgender people, and there are reputable
0: historians on both sides. Another bone of contention is actually whether Sylvia herself was even there. She says she was, uh, and of course, she's often credited with being the first bottle thrower, but historians have not been able to corroborate uh, her presence there through eyewitness accounts.
2: In the end, it doesn't necessarily matter how many transgender patrons the Stonewall Inn had, uh, or whether Sylvia was actually there that night. What does matter is that Sylvia and the rest of the cross-dressing and transgender community became vocal, aggressive campaigners for the rights of gay men, lesbians, bisexuals, and all manner of people who just didn't conform to gender norms. They were, in many ways, the people who were the most visibly on the forefront of the fight for equality and for civil rights.
0: And we're going to talk more about what happened after Stonewall, right after a word from our sponsor, if that is cool with Tracy. It is.
2: Sylvia Rivera had already been active in racial equality and anti-war causes before the Stonewall Riot. And after the riot, she immediately, passionately turned her attention to the growing movement for gay
0: rights. Two gay rights organizations formed in New York in the wake of the riot. That was the Gay Activists Alliance and the Gay Liberation Front, and Sylvia was active in both of those groups.
2: As part of the Gay Activists Alliance, Sylvia petitioned the city of New York for an anti-discrimination bill, and she was arrested while trying to get signatures. When she appeared before the judge, he immediately let her go. He recognized that with all of the social turmoil that was going on in the United States at that point, it would be a really unwise PR move for him to jail someone who was getting signatures for a petition.
0: Sylvia also testified before the city council to try to get the bill passed.
2: However, as the bill was being negotiated, others in the gay community agreed to drop protections for crossdressers from the bill in the hope that it would be more likely to pass. Sylvia and many of the other crossdressing and transgender citizens of New York felt really deeply betrayed by this. They had been working, campaigning and getting arrested and sometimes facing abuse and violence and sexual assault in jail once they had been arrested uh, fighting for these causes. And at this point, it felt like they had done this for a cause that had then turned their back on them.
0: And it didn't help that the bill, uh, minus Discrimination Protections for Gender Expression, did not actually pass until 15 years later. So that would have been 1986. So this concession really, in the end, was not much of a help.
2: Along the way, the Gay Activists Alliance specifically dropped rights for the cross-dressing communities from its mission entirely.
0: Consequently, after being excluded from other gay rights organizations, Sylvia and her longtime friend, Marsha P. Johnson, co-founded the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, in the fall of 1970. Essentially, the cross-dressing and transgender community had begun to feel excluded by other gay and lesbian rights organizations, and so they formed their own.
2: As a side note, to a lot of people today, the word transvestite has connotations that are offensive, so people... A lot of people prefer the word crossdresser, but at the time it was a word that they were using to talk about themselves frequently.
0: Yeah. Or you also hear drag, which is in there and they all kind right. of get a little fuzzy and there's still ongoing debate over, you know, terminology and who should use what to some degree. That's still being worked out. Yes. So, uh
2: we're not at all using those terms to be disrespectful, but because that's those are the words that Sylvia and Marcia were using to describe themselves. So Sylvia and Marcia's next step was to start what was known as Star House. And this was an outreach effort for the so-called street queens. These were young, homeless, gay youth, many of whom later went on to identify as transgender. And many of whom were also people of color.
0: And they originally operated Star House out of the back of a truck. And then they started renting a building at 213 East 2nd Street, and they fixed that up. And there they provided shelter, food, and guidance for homeless transgender youth. And Sylvia and Marcia really became mother figures for these kids.
2: They had a dance to try to raise some money to fund their operation, but for the most part, Sylvia and Marcia kept the place running by doing sex work. They tried to protect all of the young people who were in their care from being involved in the sex trade at all. However, many of the youth wound up helping Star House's efforts by stealing food.
0: And eventually, uh, you know, this is not really a workable business model. So Starhouse was evicted from the property for non-payment of rent. And before they left, they took the refrigerator and they destroyed all of the improvements that they'd made in the building out of a sort of turnabout as fair play mindset.
2: And I feel like we should point out that the reason that they were having to turn to stealing and sex work to fund their operations is because their entire lives at this point were not only illegal, but also specifically targeted by the police and other people for harassment. So that was sort of what it had come to by being excluded from so many other social organizations that were working to help homeless people and others in New York.
0: Yeah, it certainly was not like, a oh, we don't want to pursue legitimate means of gaining money. They just did not have opportunities to do so.
2: Right. And that continues to be a problem in a lot of areas today. Throughout this time, Sylvia was also active in other radical organizations as well, including the Black Panther Party and the Young Lords, which is a Puerto Rican nationalist activism group. In
0: 1973, Sylvia was supposed to speak at Christopher Street Liberation Day, which was a festival to commemorate the anniversary of the Stonewall riots. However, radical feminists tried to keep Sylvia from the stage because they viewed her wearing women's clothing as sexist. In particular, activist Gina Leary, a former nun and lesbian feminist, spoke out against Sylvia taking part.
2: Sylvia's response was to physically grab the microphone and to talk anyway, with a lot of vigor and profanity behind her words. Um, She spoke very candidly and angrily about how the gay community was benefiting from the cross-dressers' work while simultaneously excluding them from their successes as their payment uh, I do want to note that Gina O'Leary went on to soften her views about cross-dressers and transgender people later in her life. I don't want to paint her as a terrible person <laughs> who yeah. who went around depressing other people. She uh, she did later on express embarrassment and shame that she had uh, really basically kicked people who were already down. Yeah,
0: and the drag queens that were supposed to perform at this rally were also barred from performing.
2: After this incident, Sylvia moved to Terrytown, New York, and lived with a boyfriend. Since she was no longer in the city, she became less prominent in its civil rights and gay rights efforts. But she did make her way back every year for the parades and festivals that commemorated the end of the Stonewall Riot.
0: In the interim, she led a relatively quiet life. Uh, she mostly worked food service jobs for a while. But eventually, unfortunately, she began abusing drugs again and wound up homeless. And... Journalists
2: who were working to chronicle uh, the gay rights movement's earlier years and transgender people's contribution to the gay rights movement found her living on the streets in New York in the early 1990s. Uh, This actually marked her return to activism and to the public eye, which we'll talk about after another brief ad break. It's tricky to talk about some of the issues that are in today's episode because the terminology that we used to talk about it today, some of it was coined basically halfway through Sylvia Rivera's life. It's also tricky to talk about Sylvia Rivera's identity specifically uh, because she really, really resisted the idea of labels. For a lot of her life, she referred to herself as a transvestite. And as we said earlier, that's a word that a lot of people don't prefer to be used anymore. The term transgender came around about halfway through her life, but she wasn't totally comfortable calling herself that. Toward the end of her life, she said, quote, I'm tired of being labeled. I don't even like the label transgender. I just want to be who I am. I'm living the way Sylvia wants to live.
0: But despite her lack of affinity for labels, Sylvia was undoubtedly an advocate for rights and protections for transgender people uh, throughout the last 10 years or so of her life.
2: We talked earlier about Sylvia founding the organization STAR with Marcia P. Johnson. Marcia's body was actually found in the Hudson River in 1992. Police originally said that it was a suicide, but they eventually opened a homicide investigation. And when I say eventually, I mean two decades later. At the time of her death, Sylvia and other friends of Marcia's had said that she was not suicidal and that they had witnessed her being harassed by someone near where her body was found shortly before her death.
0: In 1994, Sylvia was asked to lead the 25th anniversary Stonewall March. That same year, she advocated for Martin Duberman's publishers to translate his LGBT history book, Stonewall, into Spanish. But according to her, uh, she was told it would not sell well in, quote, third world countries in Latin countries.
2: In her last years, she and her partner, Julia Murray, lived and worked at a place called Transy House, This is a collective and shelter for transgender youth, and they joined this collective in 1997. In 1998, Sylvia was arrested during a memorial for Matthew Shepard in New York. So if you are not familiar with his story, Matthew Shepard was a student at the University of Wyoming at Laramie who was tortured, tied to a fence post, and left to die as part of an anti-gay hate crime. He wound up dying of his injuries a few days after he was found tied to the fence post. According to Sylvia's own account, a police officer basically spread the word to arrest her first because she was known for being very vocal at these kinds of demonstrations.
0: In 1999, Sylvia spoke at the World Pride Rally in Rome. In
2: 2000, another trans woman named Amanda Milan was stabbed in the neck and killed on 42nd Street. Sylvia organized a series of rallies and protests surrounding her death and the trial of her killers.
0: Sylvia continued to be really vocal about the schism between the gay community and the trans community in the years before her death. And about a year before she died, at a talk given before the Latino gay men of New York, she said... Yes, we can adopt children, all well and good, that's fine. I would love to have children. I would love to marry my lover over there, she pointed to Julia Murray, uh, but for political reasons, I will not do it because I don't feel that I have to fit in that closet of normal straight society, which the gay mainstream is going towards.
2: In the same speech, she described the trans community's participation in the gay rights movement this way, quote, We were determined that evening, that evening being the night of the Stonewall Riots, that we were going to be a liberated, free community, which we did acquire that. Actually, I'll change the we. You have acquired your liberation, your freedom from that night. Myself, I've got expletive deleted, just like I had back then. But I still struggle, and I still continue the struggle. I will struggle till the day I die. And my main struggle right now is that my community will seek the rights that are justly ours.
0: In the last year of her life, Sylvia campaigned for New York's Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act, which is also referred to as SONDA. And that act prohibits discrimination on the basis of actual or perceived sexual orientation in employment, housing, public accommodations, education, credit and the exercise of civil rights. It includes protections for transgender people.
2: Sylvia was not exaggerating when she said that she was going to work until she died for this. Her last meeting about Sonda, when she met with uh, city officials for the last time, took place in a hospital bed when she was in end-stage liver disease and in great
0: pain. She died on February 19, 2002, of liver disease at the age of 51. Sonda was signed into law on December 17 of that same year. On November 14th of 2005, the city of New
2: York named the corner of Christopher and Hudson Streets in the West Village, Sylvia Rivera
0: Way. Today, the Sylvia Rivera Food Pantry, which is under the auspices of the Metropolitan Community Church of New York, uh, which serves the working poor as well as people with HIV through a specialized pantry program that's designed for people on antiretroviral therapies. Uh, these are higher in protein and easy to prepare. It also provides nutritional information and kind of uh, meal guidance for all of the populations that it serves.
2: Sylvia's Place is a Metropolitan Community Church of New York services organization for homeless youth.
0: Sylvia Rivera Law Project's work uh focuses on transgender, intersex, and gender nonconforming people, particularly those who are low income people and people of color. They provide legal services, public education, and advocacy for public policy reform.
2: She had a big legacy. She did have a big legacy. She had a big legacy that uh I think her her name is not necessarily well known in the context of the gay rights movement, unless you are pretty familiar with it. The uh, the oral history that we referenced, uh, making history, um, she is actually the only transgender person who's included. And she's referred to with male pronouns the whole time and is classified as a drag queen, which is she did call herself a drag queen. But that's kind of limiting in how she actually viewed herself.
0: Well, and, I mean, since she was not a fan of the labels and she identified in her life as Sylvia, unlike yeah. a lot of drag performers will still maintain their, uh, you know, in many cases, the old school drag performers that were mostly men and then presented as female for uh, performance, they still maintained that male persona, whereas she did not at all.
2: Totally. Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted there were a couple reasons that I wanted to do this episode, and and one is that uh, I think the uh, campaign for transgender rights has been increasingly present in the news uh, over the last year or so in, in terms of mainstream news coverage. It's definitely not something that has been unknown, but when it comes to like the the really mainstream news outlets. Um, And the other is a lot of the things that Sylvia and the young people that she and Marsha were uh, looking after, you know, 20 years ago, uh, a lot of those issues still really exist today. Like there are still a lot of homeless transgender youth who've basically been thrown out of their homes by their parents and don't really have anywhere else to turn. So I think her legacy is extremely important, not just for having been part of the gay rights movement, but for specifically when it comes to working with homeless young people who don't really have anywhere else to go.
0: Yeah, it's an extremely high risk community in terms of uh, violence, falling into sex work, you know, just really being in at risk situations.
2: Yeah, well, and Sylvia specifically, in addition uh, to being uh, originally identifying as a transvestite and then later kind of identifying as transgender maybe, uh, in addition to that, she was Latina and she was very poor. She was not particularly educated. She was in a whole lot of at-risk groups all at the same time. And um, she had, she said in a in a speech right before her uh, her death, not right before, about a year before, that she wanted to live to be a hundred. Uh, she only made it to fifty one. But given all of those factors, the fact that she made it to fifty one in the time that she was living is pretty incredible.
0: That's the saddest possible place to end that. So on a more upbeat tone, we're going to do a continuation of what we have already started, which is reading some of the responses we got when we asked for people who uh, had history degrees to tell us kind of what they did with those in terms of their career, which grew out of a question someone asked of us of how we got work to where we are and how people who study history in college might get such jobs. And we didn't know because that's not what we studied in college. Uh, so we went to our fabulous listener base because they are smarty Pants' and a lot of them have history degrees. Uh, so we will read a few more. Some are short. Uh, one is our listener, Christina. She has a degree in history from the University of Toronto, St. Michael's. And she went on to teach high school in the Toronto area. And she teaches Canadian history to grade 10 students as well as other social studies courses. So we always love a teacher. So thank you for teaching the historians of tomorrow. Our listener, Kristen. Got her bachelor's in history, and she is currently finishing up her master's. Uh, she currently works two part-time jobs, both in history. She's a museum educator at a hands-on children's museum, as well as registrar at a lighthouse museum, which sounds fascinating to me. And then once her master's degree is complete, her uh, plan is to work in preservation. So a lot of these kind of do lead to an archivist path. Our listener, Megan, is a curator, and she says, my recommendation is to find out what your interests are, teaching, research, museum studies, politics, etc., and go from there. If working in a museum is your career goal, I'd recommend taking any internships that may be offered and volunteer as much as possible. Uh, our listener, Gina, said, I have a double major liberal arts degree in history and classical studies, uh, i.e. ancient Mediterranean it has served me well through varied jobs by endowing me with an appreciation of perspective, context, communication and storytelling, which is what drew me to ancient Greece and Rome in the first place. And I believe that understanding the roles played by perspective and context in historical t- storytelling gives us a foundation for humanistic empathy that can impact how we read and interpret news stories today. I could not agree more. Uh, these days, I am celebrating almost a decade in sales and customer service and expanding my communication skills into the animal world with dog care and training. Uh, she makes such a great point, I think, about kind of the historical perspective, giving you a better lens through which to view the world around us today.
2: Definitely. That's a motivating factor in my episode selection sometimes.
0: Yeah, and then the last one I will read is from Colleen, and Colleen says, I bartend, and my degree gives me lovely conversation fodder. Often I'll reference your podcast, then discuss something I studied that vaguely relates. I've worked with several other folks with degrees in equally exciting fields, creative writing, graphic design, etc. I genuinely love my job, but as one of many folks who graduated just as the, quote, Great Recession began, the actual history-related career opportunities for history degrees were not as plentiful as one might hope. That happens a lot to uh, liberal arts degree holders in general, and especially in the last five to seven years.
2: It's been a long time since we've had like a big staff expansion at How Stuff Works, uh, but we did several years ago. And one of the best things about that was look, number one, I was always like, I I want to find people. You don't have to have a journalism degree. You don't have to have an English degree. But a liberal arts degree is preferred because there's so much research and writing involved in basically every liberal arts degree. Um, Mm -hmm. And then number two is getting to basically offer people jobs.
0: Yeah, it's a good (laughs) feeling. It's a really good feeling to make that phone call. Yeah,
2: Doing the things that the career center at college was always telling me, like people love liberal arts degrees because of all these reasons that these history majors have just been pointing out. Uh, but then when I got into the world of actually trying to find the job, I was like, you guys, was that true? Fibs were told. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to make that true for some people on a limited
0: scale. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. Anybody who gets a chance to work for Tracy, I highly recommend it. Oh, thank uh, you. If, if you would like, I really genuinely do. That is not me being nice because she's here. Uh She's my, my favorite boss. I think of all time. Oh, wow.
2: Uh, and
0: that's, you have some stiff competition. There, you're, there's a very close second. So if you do something wrong, you're going to fall to number two. But right now... <laughs> i try not to do that. You won't.
2: If you would like to write to us, we are at history podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Our Facebook is Facebook.com slash MissedInHistory. And our Twitter is MissedInHistory. Our Tumblr is history.tumblr.com And we are also on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash history. We have a Spreadshirt store where you can buy all kinds of cool... Stuff You Missed in History class swag. That is at missedinhistory.spreadshirt.com. If you would like to learn a little bit more about something that we've talked about today, you can come to our website and you can put the word transgender into the search bar. And one of the things that you will find is an article called 10 Things Doctors Have Changed Their Minds About This Century, which talks about the changes in the ways that the medical community have viewed transgender people and gender expression. Uh, you can come to our website, which is com, and you can find our show notes and links to all the episodes and a giant archive of everything we've ever done. So you can do all of that at HowStuffWorks.com or com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
1: HowStuffWorks.com. We are the voice of
2: NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American
0: race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville,